Hi, everyone, and welcome to this special Programs in Action episode of The Ethicast. I'm your host, Bill Coffin, and with me today is Shonda Galloway-Botts, Senior Vice President, Ethics and Compliance, Employee Law and Litigation, and Joe Pugh, Senior Director, Enterprise Risk Management and Compliance, both of whom are with AARP, an interest group in the United States that focuses on issues affecting those over the age of 50. Today, Shonda and Joe will be talking about some of the ways in which their training program is helping to make a big impact to AARP, not just within the purview of the ethics and compliance efforts, but across the enterprise. Shonda, Joe, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Bill. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks very much. Happy to be here. So my first question for you is this. Training and education are fundamental aspects of an effective ethics and compliance program. So how do they factor into your program at AARP? Um, that's a fantastic question, Bill. And I would say that we use education and training as uh, a way to bolster the elements of our ethics and compliance program as a whole, especially, you know, the written documents that we have to support our program, like the code of conduct or policies and procedures throughout the organization, because, you know, we have those documents and they are generally, we believe, self-explanatory, but it's always good to make sure. And we want to do so in a way that um, can be fun and in a way that people will understand. So we use a variety um, of tools and um, curriculum items throughout the year to ensure that we're really getting our message of um, approaching everything we do with integrity uh, to everyone in our organization and not just relying on that, you know, old school traditional uh, check the box <laughs> annual ethics training that that used to be the standard many, many years ago, but but now just uh, really doesn't cut it. So we wanna try our best to make what some consider a dry topic more fun um, through various tools that we'll use and that I'm sure we'll talk about more uh, in this discussion as we proceed. How do you develop your training and education curriculum and what would you say are the ethics and compliance issues that you prioritize most within it? Yeah, that's another great question. And it's something that I spend a lot of time on. Um, we use a lot of inputs to really inform the training and awareness activities ARP. Um, you know, for example, first and foremost, you know, we look at the misconduct concerns being reported. Um, are the trends and, you know, what are the categories that people are reporting on? And then something we really pay a lot of attention to at ARP is we look at the questions and the inquiries coming into Shonda and I. We get a lot of questions. People love to ask before they do something, which we think is a great barometer of the culture of ARP. So we really look at those trends or what are people calling about? Do they not understand something that's in the code or do they not understand one of our enterprise policies that we can maybe showcase in a monthly, you know, advertising blitz or something? Um, something else we do, we also take into account the workforce results from our micro learning platform, which are really short burst, three questions, less than three seconds to answer on the code of conduct. And we look at those questions to see, you know, what are people missing? And that gives us a great opportunity to really reinforce on that particular topic or, you know, develop a whole campaign as to how we're going to educate more on that topic. Uh, in terms of prioritizing um, the efforts, you know, I actually run the enterprise risk management program. So 
we have a compliance risk assessment and we really look at that and that helps us really prioritize those there's really those key compliance issues um for example our nonprofit status or privacy fraud workplace harassment things like that what do you feel is the optimal cadence for training education within your organization and how do you operationalize that um i'll take that one and <laughs> i would say we're of the mind that you can't have too much training but it isn't always just classroom training or something um very formal we use a lot of different tools like i mentioned so our approach is truly early and often <laughs> we believe that we can always be learning so you know uh, joe mentioned our curriculum we have incorporated into that monthly quarterly and annual different types of education and um communications that we utilize uh to get our program um top of mind for everyone in our organization. So we may use the um, quarterly microlearning platform that Joe just mentioned, but we also have tools like um, uh, manager email blasts that address things that are specific to those individuals based on their role. And we really see managers as the first line of defense because, you know, um, we have an ethics and compliance team with Joe, myself, and uh, several others, but we're, we can't be at every location um, and every department meeting. So, of course, we rely on um, our management staff to really be champions of our ethics and compliance program and to talk about it in their meetings. Um, and so we try to give them the tools and resources to be able to do that. Um, but we also look at what other roles or particular topics might need um, additional types of education. So, for example, we have a very large membership base and therefore lots of data. So our data privacy team um, has done in-person sort of boot camp training to ensure that those responsible for that in our organization really understand the compliance obligations there. Um, we're also a huge advocacy organization and, uh, you know, lobbyists are regulated and have to abide by various state uh, laws and regulations in how uh, you advocate to the various state legislatures. So we give an in-person or, you know, these days now that we're all virtual, <laughs> um, uh, but interactive training yeah. to that group of individuals. So part of what Joe was saying earlier about developing our curriculum based on our risk uh, profile is looking at, okay, where in our organization are there either groups of individuals based on the type of tasks they're performing or um, based on the, their location and perhaps there are unique uh, compliance obligations based on where the individuals are. But that's how we um, try to assess where the needs are, and again, just always, always be learning. AARP is a large geographically dispersed organization. <laughs> so I'm curious to know, to what degree does your program allow for regional or even local approaches to the particular aspects of what you're trying to achieve with training and, and, and education? Yeah, that, that's really true. Uh, you know, we, um, our headquarters here in Washington, DC, but we also have 53 offices in the States Puerto Rico and the Virgin, U.S. Virgin Islands. So we are really dispersed throughout. 
Um, but we really, the way we, you know, set up our program is we, we can target, um, you know, education for those regional groups based on what they need. Uh, Sean had sort of spoke to this in the previous question, but for example, we have a business unit that runs a job training program. So we developed a compliance and fraud prevention um, training curriculum for that specific audience of folks. And sometimes it's virtual, it was during the pandemic, now we're back to in person. Um, and that really helps us address those particular vulnerabilities of that group, meaning travel and expense, uh, time reporting, uh, purchasing card use, things that, that we can really educate and, and kind of raise the bar in terms of awareness on those. And then another example would be maybe a specific state would need um, state-specific lobbying training. And we develop that as training to really focus in on that audience as well. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is in addition to those very targeted things, we do also think it's important to address um, key issues that are important to everyone across our organization. So for example, you know, what does it mean to have a speak up culture and how do you uh, make your concerns known should you need to do so? And of course, like most organizations, we have a number of avenues uh, available to our folks when they, when we want them to report concerns of that nature so that we have an opportunity to address it and really ensure that that ethical culture we say we expect and want them to adhere to really is in practice being upheld. Um, and you know the best way to do that is communication. So we try to do those very targeted based on, like Joe said, the geographical, geographical locations or, um, job responsibilities, but also that top level, you know, what what does it mean to be ethical? Um, what does it mean to have a speak up culture? Um, you know, how do we ensure folks aren't afraid that they'll be retaliated against? So we've had communications on all of those things and uh, education and training on those as well. How do you get people across your organization to engage? Because you've got so many stakeholders uh, trying to get them involved. How do you use communication to really get them to, to, to take part? Uh, it, it's certainly a challenge because, you know, um, sometimes folks find this to be a dry subject matter or they find the ethics and compliance team to be a little bit scary. Oh, these are the these are the folks that come in and investigate if there's been misconduct, things like that. So we try to make ourselves very accessible for people to know who we are, who's a part of this team, um, to make ourselves available for questions. I think Joe said this beforehand, um, asking permission rather than <laughs> forgiveness. And we have um, a really good question or inquiry to complaint ratio. So we feel like it's working and that our efforts to be accessible to folks really um, really are effective because they do come to us with questions about, okay, you know, I, I'm going on this um, business trip. How does the travel and expense policy relate to these things that I um, want to, to add? But we also try to vary the, the manner and method of what we're utilizing. So if it's an email blast or something posted about ethics and compliance on our internet portal, you know, we utilize uh, sometimes a small video vignette to, um, you know, get 
a real life example of what we need across so that the individuals know, oh, you know, if I see this in our organization, that's what I should do, or that's how I should handle that. Or I'm sorry if I already said this, like little cartoons on ethics and compliance and um, just uh, key issue memos that sometimes go to particular groups. So we try to vary it. We try to make it a little bit uh fun when we can and not just, you know, here's another ethics and compliance memo, <laughs> but to, you know, incorporate some more real life examples into it so that um, people do feel more engaged and recognize, oh, okay, that's a situation that I've faced or that I've heard about. And that's how uh, the organization expects me to respond. Yeah. And something I'll just add in there is that, um, you know, we tend to have or spotlight, highlight um, something uh, compliance topic of the month, um, for example, like, um, and we map it out kind of the whole year, we, you know, figure it out what month the topic is going to come out. So, you know, we may do something that says, you know, has something changed in your life? Do you need to update your ethics statement? You know, some cute little like cartoon. And then that shows on all the TV monitors in the headquarters. It's in the cafeteria. Um, it also comes out in a, in a, uh, a daily email that we all get as staff every morning from the company. So it really, we're kind of hitting it from all angles, which I think is is the way you have to do it. Yeah. So I know a huge watchword in this space is is measurement, right? And I'm really curious to know what metrics you use to gauge the effectiveness of your training, you know, and education program. And then on a broader scale, how do those metrics factor into a larger understanding of how well your ethics compliance program in general is sort of moving the needle? Yeah, yeah, I like this because I'm a, a numbers person, so I'll take the metrics. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we uh, we use a variety of inputs, honestly. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we we definitely look at the micro learning uh, platform in terms of the results. What are people missing? What are they getting right? You know, what are other topics we need to work into that uh, curriculum? Uh, you know, we I mentioned this earlier. We look at the trends in terms of the what are the questions coming into um, Sean and I, whether it's a phone call, it's an email, or Teams message you know what what is it about the code of conduct maybe that they're not getting is it the gift entertainment section or something um you know we look at the company um engagement culture survey that we all take as employees every other year because we really have um kind of compliance ethics uh, questions embedded in that survey so there's certain ones you feel comfortable reporting concerns you know does your manager have an open door policy um those are great um you know data points for Sean and I to really figure out, you know, uh, do people, are they understanding the information correctly? Um, we looked at misconduct um, in terms of the investigations that we have going on and retaliation reporting trends. Those are definitely areas that we look at. Um, we even sometimes look at the number of views on our internet page in terms of how many times people are clicking on the code of conduct. Because um, we'd really like them to go to the code of conduct first, then come to us. Um, so then all of these kind of inputs uh, really inform kind of the, the strategy of how we figure out, um, you know, what do we need to do differently if we need to do something differently in terms of the ethics and compliance program. A good ethics and compliance program can do a lot on its own, but a great one absolutely needs top level support. And mm -hmm. so I, what I'd love to know is how do you ensure that the board uh, at AARP is knowledgeable about what you're doing in the ethics and compliance program? Yeah, I think that is 
one of the most critical aspects of a good program. If you don't have buy-in from your board and um, management and leadership, it's almost impossible to have a six, successful ethics and compliance program. So we use uh, a number of eff efforts to include uh, my role as chief ethics and compliance officer reports directly to our board. And we actually have a number of boards because we have a number of affiliates. So on a quarterly basis, I'll report to each of those, each of the board's audit and finance committees and um, also incorporate an annual report that includes, um, you know, overall key programmatic and operational things that look back at the previous year for our program, as well as benchmarking um, our helpline and other statistics to really show um, how our organization is doing. Um, it's also a best practice to report to the full board annually. So we do that as well to include um, providing them um, a briefing on the annual report, as well as um, when new board members come on, giving them uh, ethics and compliance training about what our code of conduct requires, what their fiduciary duties as board members uh, requires and give them an opportunity to have that interactive discussion with me about their role and responsibilities, as well as, you know, their oversight of our program. Ethics and compliance is not just a professional discipline, it's a community. And there are a lot of organizations, a lot of professionals who look to, uh, frankly, to teams like yours as a source of inspiration to figure out how they can take their program to the next level. So I guess my question to you is, what advice would you give to an organization with, say, a, a relatively young ethics and compliance program, uh, but it looks to uh, your program would like to replicate your kind of success? What would you tell them? Um, that's a great question and a great compliment. Uh, we hope <laughs> that it is uh, the kind of program that others might uh, wish to look to. Um, one, Some advice that I would give is make sure you're um, documents are relevant, your code of conduct is up to date and is really reflective of what your board and management expect of the organization, and that it is written in such a way that people can understand it, that it's not, you know, um, very technical or legal jargon used, but something that folks can implement in their day-to-day -day work. Um, I would also say assess your culture as to what is needed and what types of training uh, and education might be effective for you. It it may be that um, you know the blurbs and cartoons that we use aren't something that would be really good for your particular culture. So we would say assess what works internally for you. That works for us, but it may not um, work for every organization. So that sort of assessment and analysis of your own program. Um, at the outset will will be a big help. And, I, and I'll just add to pick kind of picking up from Shauna's last question is, you know, really getting that support at the highest level in the organization, whether that's the board or a committee, the ANF Audit and Finance Committee, um, because you really, you want that visibility and you, you want that engagement um, because that will trickle down to management. You know, is your CEO, is she part of, he or she part of the code is, you know, with the letter in there and, Maybe, um, you know, is, is ethical um, culture spoken about in terms of your CEO speeches sometimes? Do they work that into their speeches? I think all of that is really, it's a great way to really 
put that trust into the community and we're really walking the talk. Yeah. Um, I think the only other thing I would add is do get involved in professional organizations and networking. And I will just take this opportunity to say Ethisphere is invaluable to us. Some of the tools that I mentioned that we use are from Ethisphere and, and the network of ethics and compliance pr professionals that we've got to know through that organization. But there are plenty of organizations out there um, uh, that you can probably engage with locally and um, ensure that you know you have someone to bounce ideas off of or talk about your program with. Um, because they can be a, a really great resource. Yeah, and the, the last thing that I would add would um, is really making sure that the the ENC team is is seen, you know, is visible. They're visible in the organization. They're approachable. They're not just that. Oh, that compliance officer up in that corner office. We never see them. You know, yeah. I'm not going up there. It's like going to the principal. You know, <laughs> I mean, and that takes a while. I mean, you really. <laughs> You know, to get the to get the culture to where people feel comfortable coming to that corner office, if it would, if it is, and that that takes time. And I but I think it has pays big rewards. Definitely, indeed. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad I got to speak with you uh, today, uh, Shonda and Joe. Thanks so much for sharing your insights with us. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a great discussion, and we really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thanks very much. This was awesome. Thanks. Indeed. Well, to learn more about what Shonda and Joe are working on, please visit aarp.org. I'm Bill Coffin, and this has been The Ethicast. For more episodes, please visit the Ethisphere Resource Center at ethisphere.com slash resources. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time.